Christian for joining us at Lighthouse for worship this morning. Uh, I just want to read um, a quick uh, letter we got here uh, from, it's actually from Toon Gabby Baptist uh, Youth Group. They came up during a kick conference and uh, used our building. We often talk about uh, seed time and harvest and sowing and reaping and tithes and offerings and not always are we talking about money. And so we got the opportunity to sow the building, uh, this building, into the lives of these youth because they used it and they cleared all these chairs out. And there were sleeping bags all over the place. There was like 40 uh, youth kids and they used the kitchen. And so uh, we weren't able to give them money, but we were able to let them use the building. And so they wrote us this uh, thank you note. It says, thank you for allowing us the privilege to stay at your church. It is a blessing to us as a youth group to come to kick for the weekend and have uh, somewhere to stay. And then uh, they shared this uh, quick testimony. This weekend, one of our 17-year-old young men uh, gave his life to Christ. So that's uh, your church's generosity played a part in God weaving the pieces together to bring him to have and meet God in a powerful way. Uh, to hear and meet God in a powerful way, sorry. Uh, we'll be praying for your church and for your community, Toon Gabby Youth Group. So just wanted to share that with you all. So we were a part of that. It's good to be a part of what God's doing, even if it's all the way down in Toon Gabby, which I'm not even 100% sure where that is. So <laughs> should look it up on the map. Um, a couple of announcements. Uh, June 22nd, Blackheath Baptist Church is doing this uh, introduction to preaching workshop. Um, somebody by the name of, um, his name's not on here, uh, but he's from Moreland College. He's coming up. Uh, Tim McBride, here it is. Uh, is coming up, and they're doing a whole day uh, on teaching about how to put together messages and how to prepare messages from a biblical standpoint. The cost is $30, and it's at the Blackheath Baptist Church. Uh, it's June 22nd, which is a Saturday, which is also uh, the day of winter magic. Uh, so uh, that's how you can remember that. But we've got the uh, little flyers to hand out there back on the information table. And then also uh, Pentecost Sunday, which is June 9th. We have these flyers that are also back there. So at 3 o'clock, um, all the churches of the upper mountains are kind of getting together and doing one big service instead of everybody kind of trying to do their own thing. So we will have our regular 10 a.m. service here, but then also we'll have an additional service at 3 o'clock, June 9th at um, KCC. So there's all the flyers back there, and there's the little maps and everything, and there'll be, uh, I'll be one of the presenters or preachers or teachers or speakers or whatever you want to call it. So I'll be doing that there along with three other of the pastors from uh, the various churches. And then we've kind of like pretty much, there's 14 churches involved and every, uh, someone from every church has a little part to play. So it'll be a really good group uh, get together. And um, I think last year they said they had about 300 people. So it'll be good to get together with the other churches and see what God wants to do on Pentecost. So that'll be fun. Kristen, do you want to? That's good. Um, so I just wanted to put a reminder. There's a few um, women here who might be interested. So next uh, next Saturday, we're having uh, what we're calling Coffee and Canvas. And so for $15, you can come, and we're going to have food set up, and we're going to have, of course, coffee. And Miss Emily Lane is going to be leading us in a painting class. So it's going to be lots of fun, just a good time for just women to get together from, um, I think we said uh, 13 and up. Uh, women are invited. So if you'd want to do that, I think we're going to make the deadline uh, Wednesday to get your $15 in. So um, yeah, if you're interested in doing that, it's really, uh, it'd be a fun, it's just a fun time to get together and have uh, relationships, get to know other women. And I just want to encourage you, if you're church family, we've been doing wonderful church things lately. Yesterday, we took a four-wheeling trip out. Some church family went out, and we went off-roading together. And then next weekend, we get a paint together. So this is really fun. But um, also, it's an opportunity, ladies, that go come here. Um, you know, sometimes when we put on events like that, we instantly think, oh, my, my best friend so-and-so would love this. Well, many times, our best friends are also Christian. But also, this is a great opportunity to invite neighbors and people who you know, maybe aren't Christian because they might like to paint. And so it's a great opportunity to, to bring them and, um, you know, us all get to know each other and have a good time together and break down walls and all that. So anyways, 
Uh, if you would like to know any more about that, just uh, let me know after service. Yeah, we're going to dismiss the kids out for Kids Church. Um, Francis, did you tie communion into your message, or should we go ahead and take communion now? Okay. This we can do it after. That's fine. Okay. All right. Just clearing up some logistics. <laughs> Uh, I think Diana is going to go back. Okay. So we have the privilege of hearing from Mr. Francis Lane today, now that we got all that cleared up. <laughs> so uh, I'll invite him to come. All right. Hey, family. Well, I'm going to share some of my journey with you. And um, I'd actually like everyone to come up kind of close. Let's try and pack up the first few rows because what I'm going to do I'm going to read you guys a story um, and I'm going to um, share a little bit of my life of this um, dangerous Christian journey and come over this side peeps come on there's, there's heaps of room over this side let's all get together and um, I'll, I'll share a little bit All right. I don't know how many of you in this room might have read Pilgrim's Progress. Um, I think they say beside the, the Bible, um, it's one of the, the next most read book in the world, something incredible like that. Um, and to be honest, like I'm often amazed at just how this guy, John Bunyan, he wrote this in the late 1600s. Uh, he was in prison. Um, given there's a part, um, like I guess in the, in the full book where you can see sort of having a bit of a go at the Pope at the time, so there's probably a, um, one of the reasons he's actually in prison at the time writing this. But I, I've never, yeah, I've just totally amazed at how um, this man, he understood scripture uh, and how it applied and the different trials and tribulations that we go through in our Christian walk and, um, and also the, the joyous parts of our journey. So let's, uh, yeah, actually that would be good. That's a good idea, Peter. So a little bit about me. Like when I, I grew up, um, I guess, in a Catholic church as a child, my, my mother and father were Catholic. My grandma uh, would have gone to, to mass eight times a week if there were eight days in the week she was a very staunch catholic uh, my grandfather on the other hand wasn't he was an atheist and uh actually made it really hard for my mum um and she she lived a very torn life she had a, a mother who was i guess very devout very religious and and a, and a father who was an atheist and also a lawyer who used to try and pick holes in everything um so my poor mother had a mental breakdown in her teen years. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, just a little bit of background to me. I guess um, there's different ones of us like do here that w we have encountered the gospel uh, or the word of God in different ways. Um, I know some people who I've met and spoken to and they have literally picked up the Bible and they've been reading that and have been convicted of sin. Um, for me it wasn't quite like that but I actually think my upbringing and the Catholic Church I certainly there was this real reverence and a fear of God um, there wasn't really for me um, I didn't experience relationship and I don't want to um, come across as dissing the Catholic Church by any means because um, I, I know that there are true believers within that denomination but all I can do is, is share my experience um, so, yeah, the, the dangerous journey. 
the slough of despond. So a slough is like a, a bog. It's an old, a bit of an old word, but a, a, a mire of, um, I guess, uh, this place where you, you, know, you could lose hope. So as I walk through the wilderness of this world, I, I lighted on a certain place and laid me down to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. And if I tear up when I'm reading, um, I, and I, I do this often when I'm sharing my testimony, it's, there's tears of gratitude in my heart and sometimes I just can't. Um, so even when I'm reading like the tough times, I, yeah, I have, there's a deep gratitude of what God has done in my life. I just can't believe it and I'm often brought to tears. So um, I'll try, try to hold it together. Um, I dreamed that I saw a man with his face turned away from his own house, a book in his hand and a great burden on his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein. And as he read, he wept and trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, What shall I do to be saved? For he lived in the city of destruction which he learnt from his book was doomed to be burned with fire from heaven, in which fearful overthrow um, both himself and his wife and their four sons would miserably perish unless some way of escape could be found. So Christian, for that was his name, went home to talk to his family. And they were greatly worried, not because they believed what he said was true, but because they thought some kind of madness has got into the poor man. And as it was drawing towards night, they hoped that sleep might settle his brains, and with all haste they put him to bed. I don't know what it was like for you guys when you first encountered the gospel or were convicted of sin or you know, reading scripture. And um, But yeah, my family I, I was single at the time but my dad you know thought it was some sort of madness that had got into me you know I, I remember his words now you know it's just it's all right it's just some phase you're going through you know you'll be over it in six months um that was in year 2000 um so <laughs> i've been a believer for 19 years now um but yeah often um family do make it hard and uh but the night was as troublesome to him as the day. Wherefore, instead of sleeping, he spent it in sighs and tears. So when morning was come and they asked him how he was, he told them, worse, worse. He also started talking to them again, but they began to lose patience. Sometimes they would deride him, sometimes they would chide him, and sometimes they would quite neglect him. So Christian went by himself into the fields, still reading his book and carrying his burden, and greatly distressed in his mind. He looked this way and that way, as if he would run, yet he stood still because he couldn't tell which way to go. Then, in the distance, he saw a man approaching, and his name was Evangelist. And he asked Christian, what are you weeping for? And sir, he answered, this book in my hand tells me to flee from the wrath to come. Also I fear that this burden which is upon my back will sink me lower than the grave. Therefore I need to get rid of it. You know, when I, um, yeah, when my part of my journey, um, so I guess as a child I, I, I had this fear of God um, I think it was pretty well drilled into me what was right or wrong. Um, and when I got to my teen years, um, yeah, my father had had, um, yeah, I guess a, a bit of a couple of troubled relationships and troubled times as well. And he, he'd stopped going to church and um, he gave my sister and I that choice whether we wanted to keep going. I d decided not to. And I think... As I got into my later teen years and, um, you know, had my, I guess, first real relationship, um, you know, I still had this sense in the back of my mind that there was a lot of parts of my life that weren't right 
And um, God started putting people in my life to challenge me about um, what I thought, what was true. Um, some of those were um, Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, there were others like, you know, I, I was a carpenter at the time and I worked for lots of different builders, but I found myself um, everywhere I went, there'd be someone challenging me about the truth of Scripture. Um, some of those people, um, you know, I could see in hindsight were perhaps misguided. But everywhere I went, God was knocking on my door. And, um, yeah, I guess the that burden on my back, it was there. And, um, yeah, I, d- I didn't know how to get rid of it. And um, in my experience with Christians at the time, um, that yeah, the, I, I found that hard to deal with as well. There were um, some who um, wanted to really overtly tell me what I I should be doing, but you know I could see in their lives that um, it was a facade. Um, there were others who were willing. Um, you know, to, to, well, you know, what they would say is seeking after the blessing of God, but they'd trample over everyone else in the way to, to get there. Um, and then there were some beautiful, um, humble ones who, I guess, even though they were saved, they, they, um, they identified as being in the same boat as me, like in need of a saviour, um, for them, they, they had accepted that saviour, but they were quite well aware, um, I guess, of our, our human frailty. So, um, anyway, I, um, I, I guess I, I was, there was a, a period where I was trying to, print, well, you know, pretend, well, if God doesn't exist, then, you know, I, I can just keep on doing what I'm doing. But God kept knocking on the door and, and it wasn't okay. And... Um, actually found myself um, in, a, in an Anglican church at my niece's christening and, um, and the, the gospel was presented there and I realised that, I, yeah, I, I had to surrender and I did. And um, so I ended up um, actually doing it, uh, I don't know who he's heard of the Alpha course, but I guess as I worked through that, um, one realization I, 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 or thing that I, I had to grapple with was, you know, once I realized that Jesus really was a true man from history, and um, you know, not just um, yes, there's scripture that talks about him, but there's plenty of other historical evidence that Jesus was a real man who existed and um, claimed to be the Son of God. Um, you got two choices you've either believe that what he said is true or you don't and for me the evidence stacked up that he was who he said he was so so i accepted that and um but yeah god put evangelists in my life always always pointing towards the right way so and yeah i'm grateful So Christian's aware of this burden on his back and he needs to get rid of it. If this is so, said Evangelist, then why are you standing still? Because I don't know where to go, he answered. Then Evangelist pointed with his finger over a wide field. Do you see a a yonder wicket gate? No, said Christian. Then do you see a shining light? I think I do, said Christian. Then, said Evangelist, Keep that light in your eye and go in that direction. So shall you reach the gate. There, when you knock, it will be told to you what you need to do. So I saw in my dream that the man began to run, but he hadn't run far before his wife and children saw him running and called after him to return. 
But that poor man put his finger—sorry, but that man put his fingers in his ears and ran on. He didn't look back, but ran towards the middle of the plain. That's what it was like for me. Once I'd realised that Jesus was who he said he was, um, you know, you could say that um, all hell broke loose against me in my personal life. Um, everyone in my family was on my case, um, trying to get me to turn back, but I'd realised it was truth. The relationship I was in, I knew, needed to end. Um, and, uh, you know, I wasn't a, to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't have been a real nice person at that point in my life to, you know, really be in a relationship with. I often feel sorry for that poor person <laughs> that endured me for that time. Um, but I, I realised that God was calling me to put away that life and run on to something new. The neighbours too came out to see him. And as he ran, some mocked and others threatened. A couple of them were resolved to fetch him back by force. The name of one was obstinate and the name of the other was pliable. Now by this time, the man had gone a good distance from them. Nevertheless, they pursued after him and overtook him. Neighbours, why have you come? he asked Christian. To persuade you to come back with us, they said. That can by no means be, said Christian. You dwell in the city of destruction. Be content, good neighbours, to go along with me. What? said Obstinate, and leave your friends and your comforts behind us? Yes, for I seek an endless kingdom, which we may inhabit forever. Read of it, if you will. In this book, Tash cried obstinate, Away with your book. Will you go back with us or no? No, not I. Pliable so far had held his peace, but now he spoke. If what Christian says is true, I intend to go with him. Very well then, replied obstinate. I will go back to my own place. I'll be no companion of such fantastical fellows. With that they parted. Obstinate went back and, and Christian and Pliable went on over the plain, discoursing all the while. Tell me more, neighbour Christian, inquired Pliable, about the place which we're going. Well, there are crowns of glory to be given us. And garments shining like the sun, Christian told him. Oh, that's very pleasant. And what else? There shall be no more crying, said Christian, for the owner of the place will wipe all tears from our eyes. Well, my good companion, I'm glad to hear of these things. Come on, let us hurry. I can't go any faster, answered Christian, with this burden on my back. Now I saw in my dream that as they were hurrying along and talking, they had drawn near to a quagmire in the middle of the plain, which was called the Slough of Despond. And before they knew what was happening, they had both fallen into the bog. It was a bog where many travellers before had been drowned. Here therefore they wallowed, being grievously bedaubed with the dirt, and Christian, because of the burden on his back, began to sink first knee-deep, then waist-deep into the loathsome scum. You know, there are different seasons in our life and I know, um, like I guess in, in, the, in the context of this book, he's, he's yet to, to come to the cross of Calvary, but I know even after I'd given my life to Christ, I went through some challenging times. Um, and in fact, that, and that, that hasn't ended, uh, I can guarantee you. As a believer, if you're going to stick your head out for Christ, you're going to cop it. <laughs> but you know, but He gives us the armor to put on. Um, and then there are some of us that go through seasons where God just doesn't feel very near. And I've I've been through that. I know what that feels like. Um, it was a time in my life um, where there is a scripture in Philippians three, which was all I hung on to, and this period for me lasted about four or five years where I was 
I felt depressed and alone, away from God. Um, I I fell in the trap of you know maybe you know I just need to read my Bible more. I need to be a good person. I need to do good things. You know, forgotten about the fact that Jesus has done the hard work for us, and he's look he's looking for surrender. Um, but in hindsight, I can look back on that season. I can see that it, it developed character in me, perseverance. Um, I appreciated the faithfulness of God. He never left me. God is as near to us as we want to be to him. And I think um, if you're familiar with this book, you'll see that there's plenty of people of old that have gone through this time where they feel like they're distant from God. And um, I don't think, I, I don't know how to explain that other than say that it, it's been part of my journey and all I hung on to for such a long time was Philippians 3. Uh, oh sorry, no, it's Philippians 1. Verse 6. It's Paul talking about being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And if you're in that place, I just want to encourage you that our Lord will finish the good work that he started in you and hold on, hold on. (sighs) So poor Christian here is, is sinking. Neighbor Christian, where are you now? asked Pliable. Truly, I do not know, Christian replied. So Pliable began to be offended and angrily said to his fellow, Is this the happiness you promised me? If we have such ill speed at our first setting out, what may we expect between this and our journey's end? With that, having no burden to contend with, so Pliable, he's obviously not convicted of sin, Pliable scrambled out on that side of the slough which was nearest to his own house and so he ran off home for a hot bath leaving Christian to his fate. For his part, Christian was struggling to reach the side of the slough nearest the wicket gate which he eventually did but couldn't clamber out by reason of the burden on his back. You know, when you know that Jesus is true you just you got to keep going. If you fall, we fall on our knees. If we fall, we fall forward. Don't give up. Then I beheld in my dream that a man came to him whose name was Help and asked him what he was doing there. Christian answered, Sir, I was bidden to go this way by a man called Evangelist. But did you not look for the stepping stones? Well, fear followed me so hard that I fell in, replied Christian. Ah, that is the snare and hazard of this place, said Help. It so spews out its filth that at the the changes of the weather, these steps are hardly seen. Here, give me your hand. So he gave him his hand and drew him out and set him on firm ground again. And Christian continued on his way towards the wicket gate. You know, when I've been in those seasons of life, it's been faithful brothers and sisters, people who are in this room that have lifted me up and encouraged me and um, and helped me out. And I just, I praise God for you guys and uh, for all the people that the Lord's put in my life. Now, Although he didn't know it, worse trouble lay in store, for a certain Mr. Worldly Wiseman was now crossing the field to meet him. He dwelt in the town of Carnal Policy, a very great town, hard by where Christian lived. This man then, having some inkling of him, for Christian's departure from the city of destruction was much noised abroad, began to question him. How now, good fellow? 
Where are you going with that great burden? I'm going to the yonder wicket gate. Have you a wife and children? asked Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Why, yes, replied Christian, but I am so heavily weighed down, I can't take pleasure in them any more. Who counselled you to start upon this dangerous journey? A man that came to me, his name, as I remember, was Evangelist. Oh, I thought as much, said worldly wiseman. He is forever leading travellers astray. There's no more difficult road in the world than the one that he's directed you to. I see by the dirt on you that you've already been in the slough of despond. But that slough is only the beginning of your troubles. In the way you are going, you are likely to encounter far worse things than this. Lions, dragons, darkness and death. This has been confirmed by many witnesses. So why should a man so carelessly risk his life by giving heed to a stranger? And after pausing for breath, Mr. Worldly Wiseman proceeded as follows. Hear me, I am older than you. I'll give you some advice. In yonder village, there dwells a gentleman whose name is Legality, a very judicious man, a man of very good name, he has skill to help men off with their burdens. He has, to my knowledge, cured several who were going out of their wits because of them. His house is not a mile from this place, and if he's not at home by himself, home himself, his son, who's called Civility, will help you. Moreover, if you wish, there are houses standing empty in the village at reasonable rates. The food is cheap and good. And you can send for your wife and family and live happily together. You know, I've encountered that too. You know, that, that temptation to, you know, take, take the easy road. Or to, um, you know, go back to just trying to be a good person. It doesn't cut it. And, um, and when you give your life to Christ and... Uh, ask the Holy Spirit in that conviction will, will stay there um, you know you, you, regardless of what it is you try to do the Holy Spirit will show you that there's still something lacking um, some people call it that, that God shaped hole in your heart that only Jesus can fill now Christian we fear was all too ready to listen to Mr. Worldly Wiseman and leave the straight path he was on. Sir, which is the way to this honest man's house? he inquired. Well, do you see the yonder high hill? asked Mr. Worldly Wiseman. Oh yes, very well. Well, by that hill you must go and the first house you come to is Mr. Legalities. Thus did Mr. Worldly Wiseman courteously direct poor Christian down the wrong road. For what he had failed to tell him was the hill ahead was a fearsome mountain. It seemed to overhang the road so much that Christian, looking up as the clouds scudded over it, was afraid that it would fall upon his head. Worse than that, there were flashes of fire coming out of it, and Christian, because of his burden, might easily have fallen and thus, early, and thus early on his journey have been burnt to death. Wherefore, he did sweat and quake for fear. At that moment, who should appear but evangelist? And, um, you know, the, the Lord really blessed me. As I said before, he's blessed me with people that in my life, that, um, have spoken the truth in love and turned me around. At that moment, who should appear but Evangelist coming to meet him with a severe and dreadful countenance, at the sight of which Christian began to blush with shame. Aren't you the man I found weeping outside the city of destruction? questioned Evangelist. Yes, dear sir, I am the man. Did not I direct you to the little wicket gate? Yes, dear sir, replied Christian. Or well, how is it then that you've so quickly turned aside? I met, you see, a gentleman, and he persuaded me that I might find 
in the village before me a man who could take off my burden. He said, moreover, he would show me a better way, not so attended with the difficulties as the way that you set me in. Then said Evangelist, Stand still a little. So he stood trembling, and Evangelist said, You have rejected the word of God for the advice of Mr. Worldly Wiseman, but Mr. Legality cannot free you from your burden. Mr. Legality is a cheat. As for his son's civility, notwithstanding his simpering looks, he cannot help you either. As he spoke, there was a great clap of thunder, and Christian called himself a thousand fools for listening to Mr. Worldly Wiseman. I'm sorry, I have hearkened to this man's counsel, he said, turning back with haste. He spoke to no one on the way, nor, if anybody asked him, would he give them an answer. He went like one that was all the while treading on forbidden ground and could by no means think himself safe till he had regained the road he had abandoned. But would he ever reach it? He wasn't at all sure. For narrow is the gate, it says in his book, and few are they who find it. Um, now, not sure time-wise, whether we... I'd love to keep going. And just have a quick, quick look here. I think we're going all right. Yep, all right. So, yeah, praise the Lord. Um, you know, each of us here will have had a different journey, but I, I'm confident that each one of you here can probably identify with some of that. All right. Now I saw then in my dream that ahead. Ahead of Christian, on a grassy bank, lay three men fast asleep, with fetters on their heels. They were called simple, sloth, and presumption. Christian knew that to sleep on this particular road was like sleeping in the rigging of a ship when a storm was brewing. Wake up, he cried, and I'll help you off with your irons. But they only opened one eye at him and yawned. I see no danger, said simple. I want to go on sleeping, said sloth. Every tub must stand on its own bottom, said Presumption. And then all three rolled over and went to sleep again. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me a little bit when I um, yeah, got saved that, you know, I had a, there, there was a passion in my heart to tell everyone, everyone that I encountered about Christ. And there's so many that just, um, I don't know, just that, that didn't want to respond to that that warning, um, some did, um, but you know that I guess as believers, though we are called, like once we know the truth for ourselves, and God's put that conviction in our heart, um, keep telling people. Mm? Yep. 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 Yeah. Yep. That's right. Where are we at time-wise? I'm looking at the clock. Are we... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, that's fine if, if you need, need... Yeah. Yeah. No, well, th thanks for being part of it. Thanks for being part of it. Where, where are we at time-wise? It's 11.10. All right. Cool. Is everyone else cool if we keep going? Yeah? No one's... All right. Cool. All right. So Christian proceeded on his way. Troubled to think that men in such danger should so little esteem his kindness in waking them. And we are now to learn how wise it was of Christian to warn them. For as he drew near to the narrow wicket gate, he saw that it was firmly closed. And even as he reached it, he felt the wind of an arrow swish past his ear and bury itself in the woodwork. Looking around in terror, he now saw on the opposite hill a strong castle with a host of dark menacing figures on the battlements. Christian didn't dally. Over the gate was written, knock and it shall be open to you. You know, like I, that was another encounter I had um, uh, at that time when I, I guess, um, yeah, really convicted of sin, starting to read scripture. Um, 
This is before I'd actually fully surrendered to Christ. But I, I, I remember an encounter in my... I was in my father's home at the time. And um, I, I remember, as I said, like all hell was unleashed on me. And I, I, I had, a, I guess, a physical encounter of, of the demonic oppressing me. And, um, and I, I remember one of the, the guys who I was working with said, you know, if ever that happens, you just call on the name of Jesus. And I did, and it disappeared. It, it, it went like that. And, um, you know, if, like while the enemy will, will attack us, when we speak the name of Jesus, the enemy will flee. And um, that's, I guess, was just a, another part of the journey, just understanding the spiritual battle we're in and the, and the power of the name of Jesus and that the enemy will flee. Yeah, praise the Lord. So Christian knocked with all his might, and a second arrow narrowly missed him. Who's there? asked a voice. A poor burdened traveller. I come from the city of destruction, and I'm going to the celestial city. To his relief, the gate was quickly opened, and a hand pulled him in. Then Christian asked the guardian of the gate, whose name was Goodwill, What mean these arrows? To which he answered, Yonder castle belongs to Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. Both he and his soldiers will shoot their darts at anyone who tries to enter here. They aim to kill you before you can reach safety. You are fortunate to be alive. I tremble and rejoice, said Christian. Why do you come alone? asked Goodwill. Because none of my neighbours and none whom I encountered on the road saw the danger. Well, did none follow you? Well, pliable came a little way until we fell both together into the slough of despond. Christian answered. At this he was discouraged and would not adventure further. Alas, poor man, it is not worth running a few risks when the heavenly city is your destination, Goodwill asked. I'm not one to talk, replied Christian. I also nearly turned aside persuaded by the arguments of Mr. Worldly Wiseman, and I don't know what would have become of me had not Evangelist met me again when I was musing in the midst of my dumps, and the truth to tell, I'm still much inconvenienced by that burden that is upon my back. Then I saw in my dream that Christian asked him if he could not help him off with his burden. However hard I try, said Christian, I don't seem to be able to move it. No man can get it off you, said Goodwill, but keep to the straight and narrow path and it will lead you to the place of deliverance. So Christian began to gird his loins and to address himself to his journey. How far will it be, he asked himself as he plodded on his way. His next stop was at the house of the interpreter, who... Goodwill had told him, could give him useful lessons for his journey. It was large and a large and mysterious house, such as one visits in dreams. Its master, in answer to his knock, asked him what he wanted. Sir, said Christian, I am a man that is going to Mount Zion, and I was told that if called here, if I called here, you would show me excellent things which would help me. Come in, said interpreter. First he led him into a parlour which was full of dust, because it was never swept. So the interpreter called for a serving maid to sweep it, but the dust began to fly, and Christian began to choke. Never had there been such dust. He groped all around blindly, and then he heard the interpreter tell the maid, Bring hither water and sprinkle the room. All at once the dust had cleared and the maid was sweeping it up with pleasure. This parlour, said the interpreter, is the soul of the man clogged with the dust of sin. But see how easily, by God's grace, it can be cleansed. I saw in my dream that the interpreter took Christian by the hand again and led him into a very dark room where there sat a man in an iron cage now the man seemed very sad. He sat with his eyes looking down to the ground 
and his hands folded together, and he sighed as if his heart would break, and then said, Christian, who is this? Talk with him and see, said the interpreter. What, what used you to be? asked Christian. I was once a flourishing professor, both in my own eyes and in the eyes of others, answered the man. I was on my way, as I thought, to the celestial city, and I was confident that I would get there. But what did you do to bring yourself to this condition? Christian asked. I failed to keep watch, the man replied. I followed the pleasures of this world, which promised me all manner of delights, but they proved to be an empty bubble, and now I am shut up in this iron cage, a man of despair, and I can't get out. No further explanations were given. No one said who put him there, but the interpreter whispered to Christian, Bear well in mind what you have seen. Finally, Christian was led to a gateway like the one which he had lately entered. Beside it sat a man at a table with a book and inkhorn before him to take the name of anyone who wished to pass through. But the gate was guarded by fierce men in armour, ready to do what hurt and mischief they could to any traveller. And although there stood a great company of people desirous of going in, they didn't dare. So then, as it were seen upon the stage, Christian saw a valiant man approach. And, yeah, I think that's what it, it takes to, to give your life, you know, to, to come to that place of surrender. It takes courage. Um, there might be a million voices in your ears saying give up, but I'm here to encourage you not to give up. And uh, so this valiant man approaches and says, set down my name, sir. So he wants his name in the book of life. And that done, he drew his sword and rushed upon the armed men who laid upon him with deadly force. But the man, not at all discouraged, fell to cutting and hacking most resolutely so after he'd received and given many wounds, he cut his way to safety. I think I know the lesson of this, said Christian, triumphantly as he resumed his journey. My safety will depend, it seems, not on cleverness, but on simple courage. How his burden had got on his back in his first place, and why nobody else had burdens as happens in dreams, we are not told. But never had he been so eager as he was now to be rid of it. And that, did he but know, was half the battle. Now I saw in my dream that the road from then on was fenced on either side with a wall. The wall was named Salvation. Along this road did burdened Christian run. Or should we say he did his best to run so far as he could, with that load upon his back. At the foot of the hill, he passed an open tomb. Then, up again upon a little knoll, he found himself beneath a wayside cross. And its shadow fell across him. So suddenly, the burden, slipping from his shoulders, fell off his back it tumbled down the hill it tumbled into the mouth of the tomb and it was never seen again now Christian kept feeling his back he couldn't believe it for, he was, for it was very surprising to him that the simple act of gazing at the cross had set him free And his burden of guilt was gone. As he stood there in amazement, behold, three shining ones appeared. The first one said, Your soul is now swept clean of sin. The second stripped him of his mud-stained rags and gave him bright new clothes. And the third handed him a parchment. Guard it carefully, he said, and surrender it only when you have reached the gate of the celestial city. 
Now great dangers lay ahead of him, but for the moment he was light as air. So Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing. Who would true valour see, let him come hither. One here will constant be, come wind, come weather, there's no discouragement, shall make him once relent, his first avowed intent to be a pilgrim. And I think that's a great place to stop and share communion together. But it is not about anything that we've done. That's what our Lord Jesus has done for us. And whether you're on that journey and haven't given your life to Christ yet, or whether you've already surrendered to him, it's helpful to remember that it's his blood that was shed on the cross to set us free. It's not by our works. We just need to come under the cross and the work is done. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you've done in my life. I thank you for what you've done in the lives of each one here and what you're continuing to do. I thank you, Lord, that you never give up on us and you never forsake us, Lord. I thank you that through all the different seasons of our lives, you are faithful and you are constant and you are near to us even when we don't feel near to you. You're a gracious and loving Heavenly Father. And we thank you and praise you. I now consider lost for the sake lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in the sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Thank you, Father. As we come and share communion, we remember the body of our Lord Jesus broken for us and his blood that washes us clean. Lord, you are beautiful and we thank you for what you've done for us. Um, we, we welcome everyone here, even visitors, um, you just come up and uh, take the, the, the bread and the juice and um, you can take it in, in your own time back at your seat. And um, yeah, oh, let's worship the Lord. Thank you for listening to this message from Katoomba Lighthouse Church. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at 126 Victoria Street, Katoomba. For more information, look us up on Facebook or our website at katoombalighthouse.org. Thank you, and God bless.